What is up, motherfuckers? Uh, welcome to my first outside broadcast episode of A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. Um, and indeed, another edition, uh, a Fuck This Week edition, which is where I just kind of talk to myself and try to make sense of the senseless. Um, I got a couple of things I, I want to tap into on this one, and uh, I hope you will entertain me and... Uh, What's the word? Sorry, I've, I, my my daughter woke me up at like two, and then my son came into our bed at like half two and started kicking me in the balls. I was trying to sleep, and it, oh. then I went downstairs and I thought, oh, just you know what? I'll sleep on the sofa, and Lucy can just see to the baby for a bit. I just need I just need some sleep and to be not kicked in the balls. And uh, lo and behold, couldn't back, get back to sleep. So now here we are. Here I am walking around a park like a madman uh, talking to you guys. Um, So I hope, I really, really hope that you find this entertaining and that uh, you will indulge me. That was the word I was looking for. (laughs) I hope that you will indulge me as I I wander around this park that, do you know what? I used to actually walk around at like 5am. It's about, it's just gone five now. Um, And I used to sort of think, do I look weird doing this? You know, like, am I just... Like, like the, the sorts of people that I see around this park at 5am are uh, Nepal- old Nepalese women. Don't ask me why. It's just there's a, there's a small population of them in the town where we live. And for some reason, they get up at, you know, bastard o'clock in the morning and go for a walk around the park. Don't, I, I don't know any more than that. So there's me, Nepalese women, and then dog walkers. <laughs> and then it's me, right? And so I look like an insane person because they all have reasons to be walking around the park. I assume we don't know what they are. I don't know what the cultural foundations are for why Nepalese women wake up at half four in the morning and go, do you know what? Let's walk around a park in the pitch black where there's murderers and junkies. Probably let's do that. I love this country. That's, this is why I came here. Let's do this. I This country is so beautiful, I want to see every nook and cranny of it, including heroin addiction and late-night violence. Um, So they have... Maybe maybe it's a temple thing, I don't know. Like, if they're Buddhist, is there an early morning service? Like, they go for a walk and then they go to the service? I don't know, something like that. And then you've got dog walkers who, you know, they're up early, walk the dog, then they go to work, or then they do the school run. And then I just think, like, am I... Do I look like a dog walker without a dog? You know, like, what would you think if you saw a 40 year old man walking around a park by himself at like half four in the morning? I would think he it, like, is he dogging or is he <laughs> is he some sort of predator walking around? And like, if the police stopped me, if something happened in this park, if somebody was murdered in this park, I would have no alibi. Like, there's no way that they would believe that I a, a, a relatively sane man. <laughs> It's like, so why were you in the park alone at half four, Mr. Thompson? Um, I just, you know, sometimes my son wakes me up and I just go for a walk. What, by yourself? Uh, Yeah, you know, just get out of the house. You walk around the park by yourself and we found a body in the same park. And it's like, do you expect us to play? Have you got anything better than that? No, that's that's the truth. Like, I wouldn't stand a chance. They would convict me in a heartbeat (laughs) if there was... If, God forbid, they ever find a body at the same time as I'm... Anyway, look, this is still... We've gone down an unfortunate 
tangent here because um well mostly because I'm fucking knackered and uh you know my brain is completely haywired for this episode so I guess the long and short of it is welcome to this episode of fuck this week this edition uh where I'm tired delirious and I'm just gonna talk nonsense at you this is what a crazy person sounds like when they've been sleep deprived by two very beautiful but increasingly difficult (laughs) to manage and handle children um I hope that resonates with some of you. The, the, peop- the, the people that listen to this who have children will be now listening going, I get it. I totally understand, man. Yeah, this guy. He's on, he's, I'm on the same page as this guy. I can empathise. I might listen to more of this. The people who listen to this who don't have children will be thinking, well, this podcast's taking a fucking weird turn. <laughs> I, I started listening. I started subscribing to this shit because I thought, you know, I was into tech and politics and dystopia. And now it just seems to be some fucking weirdo walking around a park and narrating it. Um, So anyway, let's get into it. Uh, Talking about dystopia and politics, um, I've decided to take a bit of a break from news, which might sound like a strange thing for somebody who hosts a podcast that is sort of, let's say, one third centred around what happens in the news cycle. Because I do, you know, there's a, there's a lot of shit that I do tap into that uh, is not immediately in the headlines, like the episode a couple of weeks ago about the housing crisis and about the leasehold crisis um, is not in the headlines every day. And a few of the earlier episodes were about specific tech things like user experience or uh, data science and AI. Um, but it's... I think the more recent episodes, because it feels like we're at sort of fever pitch with politics in the UK, it's felt like a sort of uh, a hot topic. It's felt like something I should get involved in. And you know what? If I'm really honest with you, it's good for the retweets. Yeah. Like if, if I do an episode and I can cut like a little five minute thing out of it and put it on Twitter uh, and it's about something that's happened in Brexit or something that's happened with COVID mismanagement, that is a good day on Twitter because chances are it'll get likes and retweets and so on. It's good for the podcast. Um, But I've decided to take a break from the news because it's just like, do you ever get the feeling it's just too much? Like there's just, I'm so jealous of our parents and our grandparents of the low level of news and the mundane, boring nature of politics back in, like, you know, the 70s or 80s. Like, I'm sure they would disagree and they would say, oh, yeah, Watergate was a really big thing. Or, you know, JFK was shot in the fucking head. You, you call that boring, do you? But, I mean, like, now, because you've got so much news, because you've got umpteen channels and whole radio stations dedicated to just London news and... Uh, the BBC Parliament Channel and Sky News and like BBC blah 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 like and that's just here right then in the States you've got all of their channels and then you've got people's podcasts and Twitter and blogs and it just gets like there's so much and it's relentless it's like standing under a waterfall and just like what wild torrential rain <laughs> hammers down on you as well it's just a, a, an assault on the senses um you know, waterboarding you with information constantly. And not just, not like nice information. It's all like chaos 
and mismanagement and murder and death and rapes and misogyny and terrorism and uh and it's just I feel a bit not burnt out because like I'm always going to be obsessed by it but it's it's um I just feel like and let me preface what I'm about to say by saying I never thought I'd be one of these people that says this (laughs) but I just feel like maybe for my mental health maybe it's good to step back from it for a little minute you know like last year I decided to do this and what I did was I I entered a script into uh, Twitter and it automatically unfollowed everyone so I wasn't following anyone on Twitter anymore and then what I did was I sort of cherry-picked a few people who I still wanted to follow. And I followed them again. And then, uh, and then a few, like, tech accounts, because I work in tech, so it makes sense, right? But apart from that, um, it like, that was it. News blackout for me. I deleted all the news apps off my phone. Uh, I just focused on work. <laughs> and it felt... Like, going cold turkey. It really felt like... You know when people say, like, oh, you're addicted to your phone or you're addicted to, um, you know, the internet or, you know, strange, weird addictions. And they say, just put your phone down for a day and it's really hard and you're twitchy and, you know, you, whenever you've got a spare half a minute, you're just reaching for your phone. You're like, oh, fuck, maybe I, maybe I have got an addiction to this weird, glowing, fucking chaos funnel in my pocket um but it's like I did feel cut off I felt like I was I was no longer on the grid you know (laughs) even though like you still got Facebook and you see things sort of pop up on your feed and people you know bitching and moaning about stuff on WhatsApp like I can't believe this thing that's happened today that this type of thing always happens every fucking day now but I still can't believe that this thing has also happened and you know so you're loosely aware of things but um, but yeah, you feel, I don't know, you feel cut off. It just feels nice. It's like going on holiday. And, um, and anyway, that happened in March last year, March, 2020, which, uh, you will be aware was when the pandemic really fucking went into fifth gear in the UK at least. Uh, and so it was the fucking weirdest thing to be cut off from news and be like, oh, it's pretty good. You know, I don't, don't even feel like I'm missing out really on anything see this is proof that you don't need to be obsessing over news because i'm not connected to the news and i'm not even missing out wait what there's a global fucking pandemic and people are going to get locked in their houses for six months like what what the fuck so um let's just hope touch wood that um that doesn't happen this time i could really do with without like every time i decide to take a step back from the news that some global calamity doesn't fucking explode you know i'd really like that or like another afghanistan imploding um so yeah i'm i'm taking a break from the news and so uh, i think the next few episodes of this podcast will be i'm still going to get some guests on i've got a guy called irving anderson who's going to come on this friday night uh hopefully um and he works in the house of lords he's a conservative guy uh, and he, I think he works for or supports a lord or something. He's not a lord himself. Uh, but he's coming at life and society and tech and everything from from a different angle to me. And I think that's really important to 
uh, not just to, to sort of selfishly like fuel your own perspectives and, and uh, you know, reshape your thoughts and feelings uh, with the influence of somebody who comes from somewhere else on the political landscape, although that is important. I think it's just important to uh, to hear people out. You know, like, how often do we ever actually fucking hear people out anymore? Never. It ne- you never see or hear people having a, a reasonable debate about something. It's always, or at least, you know, in the news cycle and on Twitter, it's, and, like, arguments with friends and, you know, relatives and shit. It's always something along the lines of, like, with Brexit, it'll be like, fucking Brexiters, I hope you're happy. Look, there's no food on my supermarket shelf. Here's a picture of it. It's that shit. Or, like, in the reverse direction, you know, if it's, if it's anti-vaxxers or uh, anti-mask or anti-lockdown types and it's going towards the pro-science community, then it'll be people like, you fucking sheep. Like, it's, there's never any actual civil discourse so i like in my own small pathetic meager way i think it's nice like if i can get somebody from the right to just kind of sit with me and have a chat and he was on a a few episodes ago and we talked a lot about uh you know where the conservative uh, mindset starts and stops and why we can't um why we can't agree on some things and uh and so yeah I'm, i'm looking forward to having a chat with him about that um, what was some other stuff I wanted to uh, to touch on? I, I wanted to talk a bit about uh, career moves because this is something right. This is quite important to me because of the direction that my life has taken, uh, and I never really, I don't think I've really talked about this in any depth before. Um, and I'm going to be quite open with you. I'm going to be quite upfront and honest, uh, and dare I say, vulnerable. <laughs> Um, uh, make of that way. I mean, would I would I be this upfront and honest if I were not delirious and on basically three hours sleep? Probably not. Let's let's see how we go though. Uh, I'll tell you the story of uh, where I've come from and to, and and hopefully that will sort of join the dots, if you like, on why career moves and retraining is something that's so close to my heart, right? So, uh, I grew up in a town called Maidenhead, and I grew up on council estates there. And though my girlfriend always sort of, you know, smirks or takes to piss a bit when I say that, because in her mind, she grew up in Peckham, right? And in in her uh, social periphery, uh, a council estate was a very different place to where I grew up. So in her mind, uh, high-rise blocks of flats, deprivation... um, you know, a cosmopolitan population, uh, crime, um, drug use. In in my world, a council estate was the first place we lived was uh, a block of flats in Norden Road in Maidenhead, and it was it was a little bit grotty, but it wasn't too bad. And then after that, we lived in uh, a Toynbee housing estate or a housing association, which was sort of I was told it was a charity. I don't really know the the machinations of that of how a charity has houses or, or whatever, but. Uh, but we lived there. Um, and then finally, my mum was able to buy a house when we were about 14 or 15, so somewhere around there. Uh, but the place that we bought the house was uh, a shithole. It was possibly the worst street in Maidenhead. Um, and on the way back from school, I remember 
kids throwing stones at my head, at my fucking head, <laughs> as I'm walking past. I mean, either they were a bad shot or uh, or they they meant to throw it at the fence or whatever. But still, I mean, a, a 14 or 15 year old kid walking back home from school with stones flying past. Is, like, you get the idea. It, it was a, a deprived uh, social housing and and post-local authority area with chain link fencing and uh shitty looking kids i know that's it's probably not a nice thing to say probably comes off as a bit classist because of i don't know just how i how i speak right but it was you know quite rough kids and stones going past your head and dogs not on leashes and arguments in the street and i you know i've said this before but it wasn't always loud and noisy and chaotic um, because Father's Day was usually quite a quiet affair, right? Anyway, that's my that's my one joke about this uh, wheeled out. So, uh, uh, so it, there was council estates, and I went to a comprehensive, and uh, and then I went through that sort of that trajectory of coming from a council estate uh, through college through university. And then you would think, oh, he studied uni, at uni, so then he became sort of middle class. Well, not really. I, I sort of, if I'm honest, thought I was going to be a rock star when I was like, you know, 18, 19, 20. I was like, well, you know, I'll go to uni because it's sort of, it was loose. It, it was a music business course. I thought, oh, if, if I don't become the next Kurt Cobain, in the unlikely event that I don't become a, a world changing a celebrated rock star then you know at least i've got something where i can manage bands or i can work for a record label or something like that uh, so i went through uni but after uni i didn't have th- there was no nepotism in my family it wasn't like i could go to my dad and say oh can i have an internship please or can you hook me up with your mate over there and i could do an internship at sony records or and my mum wasn't in in the sort of financial situation where she could say I'll give you the 400 quid a month to go into London because, you know, Maidenhead isn't London. You'd have to catch... Like, all these record labels are in London. So I'd have to catch a train every day and commute into London and not be paid for it. So the, my family, my situation wasn't conducive with going that whole sort of, oh, he went to uni and then immediately became middle class because he did this. And um, So what did I do? I left university and I got an office job. And one of the office places around was a vehicle leasing company. And I worked there for two and a half years. And I worked in customer service and client services and account management and all that shit. And then I I sort of moved from there to this sales support thing in in a big telecoms company. And then I moved from there up to London and worked in another sales support thing and um, and then from there, I ended up in recruitment and recruitment for six years. And I suppose really my point of this is that I just kind of drifted. I just didn't really know what the fuck I was supposed to do other than something creative. I just thought I'm supposed to be doing something creative if I can just keep the money coming in through the sales support stuff and the recruitment and whatever, then hopefully I can pursue this and eventually it will pay money. And so on like extracurricular I was doing like it started off with um uh uh started off with um like grungy kind of singer songwriter stuff and then it moved on to some hip hop for about 5 years 
And then after the hip hop, it moved on to stand up comedy. And the whole time I was thinking, I've, I've just got to keep the money coming in. And then eventually this will, I'll find some creative route that will pay the money. And, uh, and then I met my girlfriend. Uh, and I had gone from job to job to job to shit sales support job to shit sales job to shit a sales job. <laughs> and, and when I met my girlfriend, I, um, I thought, wait, hold on. Let me just stop for a quick coffee. Hold on. There we go. Um, keep the fatigue at bay. Uh, when, when me and my girlfriend got together, I was sort of pursuing stand-up. And, uh, and then this, this uh, opportunity came up at work. And by this point, I was working at Sky, uh, again, as a sort of... Uh, but actually, no, by that time I'd moved into projects. So I'd, got, I'd managed to make a leap from like salesy, supporty stuff into projects uh, via a bank. Um, just by volunteering for a load of projects, like shit projects that nobody else wanted to do. <laughs> like, oh, somebody's got to go downstairs and fire this person. Like, I'd be like, I'll do it. Yep, sure. That's another thing I can tick on my CV of awkward, unpleasant jobs that nobody wants to do. But I've done like... I just thought, oh, if I keep volunteering for these fucking shit jobs and shit projects, then I, eventually I'll get some experience and somebody will hire me as a, like, shit, you know, junior projecty guy. And so then when I was doing that at Sky, uh, again, like, some, somebody said, like, what is it you want to do here? And I said, uh, something creative, just something. This is like, I was age 35 by this point. So 15 years, pretty much, since leaving university, 14 years, um, I'd been, like, telling myself, oh, if I could just do something creative. So by the time this director was like, you know, what is it you wanted? I was like, oh, just, please, God, somebody, just something creative. And, um, and long story short, uh, he introduced me to an engineer, and the engineer set me up with some tutorials, and I got up at... So Lucy was pregnant at this time. And uh, I got up at bastard o'clock in the morning. And I did tutorials. I went on YouTube and I watched these videos. And then I tried the stuff that they were talking about on the videos. And, and then I got a tiny bit more confident with it. And I'd, you know, made a web page. And I'd put some words. Just terrible, you know, shit little web pagey things like where oh fuck I made a I made a word go red how cool is that and then there was some other stuff like they were like oh you know now you can learn a tiny bit of this thing called ruby I was like okay and every morning I'm getting up opening up my laptop doing another bit of a course or fucking around or you know just trying to make an image appear on a web page like it was a very slow and borderline humiliating process to sort of, to go from being this projecty guy, where I actually kind of had a rough idea what I was doing, because uh, most of it was just answering emails and like running reports on Excel and having meetings with people and taking notes. And to go from that to something quite technical, where it's like, ah, fuck, I don't know how to do this shit. Now I've got to go Googling, hunt through millions of pages and try and find a solution. Oh shit, they've written a solution here. And it looks completely different to my code. What, like, why, why is my code written like this? But there, maybe, am I using an old version? And so it's a complete, like, different, um, 
like paradigm of of thinking and work and uh, uh, sort of wrapping a career mindset around what it is that you're lear- learning. Because like with projects or sales or sales support, all of that shit, I was just like, yeah, I'll just uh, do this for a bit. But with coding and learning to code, I was like, this could actually pay the bills. You know, this could actually sort me out. And at the time, I was so obsessed with stand-up that I was like, if I just do coding for like five or six years, I reckon I could get to a point where I'd have enough money to put on my own Edinburgh show. <laughs> or, you know, maybe by that point I could, um, I would have saved enough money for a flat deposit for us to live in. Or was it like... Something along those lines. So it seemed like there was an actual goal there. Like, and my, my mindset changed from being like, oh, I'm just going to work, to being like, I can't wait to go into work. And that's a huge shift for somebody like me who I don't think it's outrageous to say that anyone who knew me in my 20s and probably early 30s probably thought that they would not hire me. <laughs> I think. Um, you know, my friends and my friends are friends. I think that if they had, if you asked them what they made of me when I was like 28, 29, would you hire him? Would you refer him into your company? Like, I think they'd be like, not really. Cause he just, he doesn't seem to take work very seriously. You know, he's always out on a Tuesday night getting hammered. And you know, how many times has he like been, He's sent us long emails from his work. Like, is he even doing work? You know, like, I didn't really take it particularly seriously. And then when I was learning to code, I was like, this is actually really interesting. You know, I can't, I can't wait to get back to my desk and crack on with this. And, and so it really was a, a, a dramatic shift for me. Now, there's a couple of ways you could, you could look at that. You could be like, well, you found your thing. Uh, or you could look at it like, well... Lucy was pregnant and it lit a fire under your ass and it made you think, fuck, I need to actually get my shit together. Um, and maybe those two things are to some extent the drivers of what I did and like what I'm doing now. And, um, but I also think there's, even if you don't go into coding, not everyone wants to do coding. Uh, but if you get into tech, or, or even if you just want to retrain to do fucking pottery or whatever, I think so many people just don't fucking do it. They just think, oh man, I wish I was a painter. <laughs> or, oh, wish I could be... Uh, or like comedy, like, oh, I'd love to try comedy. But they never seem to sort of find the time. They never, they never pursue it. And I think it's possible, it's entirely possible for people to do it. And it's almost like a confidence thing they have to get over. And I say that as somebody who's not particularly confident in myself. Like when I was saying earlier about, you know, I'm going to be quite open and honest with you. Um, I can be confident in the moment and I can talk to you guys on a podcast and I can chat with other people. You know, I, I love a good I love a good story. I love a good chat. And I like pulling ideas apart and psychology and, and politics and so on. But in terms of my ability, having confidence in myself, uh, I have huge imposter syndrome uh, to the point where, you know, I've just started a new job. And um, 
even though I've been doing front-end development for six years now, and I know how to spin up web pages, and I've written hundreds, if not thousands, of components, and, you know, I'm, I know what I'm doing with it, but still, starting this new job, I'm working with two other developers, and it, it is constantly at the forefront of my mind where I'm like, I'm not a real person, <laughs> you know? These people are real people. This, these two are real developers. I'm not a real developer. You know, like it's... And I don't think that thing will ever go away. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why some people don't have it or don't appear to have it. Like they just get out of their car, walk straight in the office. They're like, yeah, yeah, I've, uh, I've earned this. This is, uh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I'm, the, I'm, I'm equally as important as everyone else here. In fact, I'm pretty great you know like i wish i had that sort of undiluted uh relentless confidence that some people have but i just don't it's just there's always going to be this sort of hole <laughs> this hollowed out feeling where uh where i feel like i'm i haven't earned my stripes and in some ways like i think what you can do is flip it around and look at it like a strength you could be like if you don't feel confident or you don't feel like you've earned your stripes it kind of it can push you if you let it it can push you to then try harder than the people who appear to have earned their stripes and so then your work ethic and your drive serve you well like that comes off well because people are like oh he seems to be really trying or he's really putting in the graft you know um but it's I think just like circling back to the beginning of what I was saying about coming from council estates and not going that traditional, you know, catapult through university to middle class route. Um, you know, mu- much of my 20s, I spent fucking broke. Uh, I remember being in Muswell Hill, lodging, lodging sounds weird. Um, in, I was renting, renting a room with two friends in Muswell Hill which is a very affluent area, and it was a lovely flat. Uh, but it was, you know, if I'm honest, I couldn't really afford the room there, and the rent was quite high, and I was being paid fucking pretty much nothing for London salaries. Uh, and I remember, that, like, the two of them talking, one of them was talking about where he was going to go on holiday, like, should I go to this place skiing, or should I go on this thing? We might drive across the US, and we're going to rent a car. And I, This seemed like fantasy to me. Uh, and the other one was talking about, you know, saving money and maybe he should think about a flat deposit. And uh, and then it went back to the other one who had been given flat deposit money from his parents. And, and then I'd go off into my room and I'm staring at this like, <laughs> it was like an old wine bottle, like a really big open top. I don't know if you know the sort of shape I'm talking. Like a wine bottle that's not shaped like a wine bottle. It's got like a huge circle at the top of it. Anyway, it was like old and empty and I'd filled it up with coppers and I went in my room and I counted out my coppers <laughs> into like, I think it was like five or six pounds of coppers, which I then took to the shop and bought like a four pack of Fosters or something. And that was, that was my opulence. That was my, like, they're talking about skiing holidays and flat deposits. I was like, right, well, this is where I'm at. Um, I'll just get my four cans of lime. That was in my 20s. Not even my early 20s. I was probably about 28, 29 then. Um, And so I think when you come from council estates and you've 
gone through your 20s broke and struggling and you know I accept that a lot of that is down to financial mismanagement on my part but uh but then even you know financial mismanagement and and uh the psychology of handling your finances I think actually you could root that back to where you come from uh your expectations your role models how you were raised uh, whether your household personally respected finances or handled their money or, or whether they normalized financial chaos um, and and recklessness. Uh, so anyway, if you come from that sort of background, uh, and I'm not going to call it deprivation because it, it wasn't that, but it was struggle and it was um, recklessness. Uh, to then get into a situation where you retrain and you see your income come up and you manage to attain some sniff of financial security and uh and and it's not even over yet like you you every job move that you have your income is going up and you actually get to thinking like i could do this in 2 years or maybe in 5 years i could invest in this idea or you know to to have changed so dramatically and shifted and to have your opinion respected about the area that you've retrained in and to actually get up in the morning and, and really enjoy what you do and to build things and see them come to life. Like that journey, God, I sound insufferable, journey. Um, that that uh, move from being financially reckless and, uh, and, and counting out your coppers and council estates and um, to, to having that, and, and achieving that, if that doesn't sound too self fillety uh, I think is, is a huge uh, step and a hugely rewarding one uh, that I, I, I hope and pray that loads, loads... Oh God, I can't even talk now. Run out of words. I, I hope and pray that um, significantly more people than just me uh, and, and, and a few little cherry-picked people who were given an opportunity at Sky are able to benefit from... Uh, it's a subject in terms of retraining and career moves that's so close to my heart because I, I know that this shit works. I know that you could do it because I've done it and my opinion of myself is so fucking low that I'm like, oh, you know, imposter syndrome fucking riddled uh, sack of chaos like me could do this and you could fucking do it. Um, you know, like there's, there's, that's my mentality with this is like, I, uh, this isn't even that hard. Like you could do this. Um, all you need is to get up a couple of hours earlier, be a bit tired for about six months, put the work in, and you could probably get hired as a junior developer or an apprentice developer somewhere. People are so hungry for developers at the moment uh, that they would take you on as an investment. They'd be like, well, we'll hire him on like 22K and that's enough to keep him for the time being. And then, you know, as long as we treat him well, he'll stay here and we'll actually get a great deal out of him because we won't have to keep hiring a new developer every year when they get bored and leave. And, uh, you know, like it's, there's an investment and it's a good move for the company and it's a great move for you career-wise. And then you can fuck off in three or four years and double your salary. Like it's, it's not that hard and it's not, unreal, uh, it's not unrealistic. Uh, so it's... it's I, I don't know. If you're thinking about making a career move, I really, really would encourage you to do so. And if if you know someone who's kind of stuck in a rut, who's always been a bit financially chaotic or, or has fallen through the cracks a couple of times, uh, 
either send them this podcast or have a chat with them and, and paraphrase the shit that I'm talking about because it's definitely achievable. Uh, and I, I don't know if, if certainly enough, I don't know if too many people even realise that the, these opportunities are open to them. Like, I've been having chats off and on with my brothers-in-law and they're talking about retraining. But I don't think they really fully understand the wide open door that is in front of them. Like, they'll, they'll do tutorials and they'll do, like, a bit of this, a bit of that. And every now and then they'll ask me a question and go, yeah, yeah, we're just sort of fucking around with this. And, you know, what, what do you think about that? And I'll advise them. But it, in order to get them to walk through that door, like, I sent them a, a link to the Sky Get Into Tech Scheme today. And they were like, cool, thanks, man. Yeah, I might take a look. I'm like, you should fucking take, definitely take a look. Like, here is a, a global conglomerate who are running an initiative to get people into tech. You don't even have to have fucking experience in tech. You don't even need really to get up at four in the morning and do the tutorials. You just rock up to, to Osterley, to Sky, and say, yeah, man, I'd love to get into tech. And they go, wicked, walk through this door. Like, the, the, the work, the effort is minimal. Um... It's, it's outrageously easy if you just, if you just, and I'm sure that Sky aren't alone. I'm sure that other companies also run that shit. Uh, this is why it annoys me so much with like, so on one of the episodes uh, uh, last week, I was talking about KPMG um, and their, uh, their attitude to addressing classism. They were like, we want to hire 30% of our staff from working class backgrounds. That's their new initiative. So they're going to sit you in an interview room and say, uh, is your dad a plumber? <laughs> Was your mum a post lady, you know, or a lollipop lady? Or, you know, does your dad work in a shop? OK, cool. You're in. Um, which is great. But, uh, you know, my memories of working at KPMG are slightly different. Um, I remember the director there and I, you know, I'm sorry if you listened to the episode last week, but I'm just going to quickly touch on this again. My memories of working there was an associate director telling me that he didn't want to interview any 30-year-old graduates because he thought they were past it. He thought 30-year-old graduates uh, hadn't got their shit together, obviously. I mean, fuck the fact that they had gone back to university and qualified and got this degree. In his mind, the fact that they had gone back to university so late was indicative and evidence of that they hadn't got their shit together, that they were actually just worthless. Like, how, how fucking weird and paradoxical is that? Like, oh, I don't know about these 30-year-olds. You know, if you haven't got your shit together by 30, I, th- I just think it says something about you, Aid. Does it? Even though you've literally got your shit together. You've, you know, you put down the bottle of Jack Daniels or whatever it was that, you were, that was keeping you from getting your shit together in your early and mid-20s, uh, and then you got your shit together, you went to university, came out with a bit of paper that says this person is clever, and went to every lecture... And came out with a first, but you say that means that they didn't get their shit together and they're worthless and you don't want to see them. That is some serious 180 shit going on there. Um, and it's, it, it wound me up at the time, uh, but I wasn't 30 by then. So it's, it seemed like, well, yeah, I guess maybe, you know. But it's like now that I'm 40 years old and that I didn't get my shit together until I was 35... It winds me up even more. I'm like, why? Like, how would I feel if somebody had written me off, thrown me on the scrap heap at 29? uh, And then I could, you know, let's say I went down a really dark road 
And I was like, you know, they've written me off. I'm a waste of space. I'm worthless. I'll just hang myself. Then I, then I die. And then uh, in death, I see what my life would have been had I stuck around. Do, does that make sense? So kill myself. Then the, I don't know, Grim Reaper or St. Peter or whoever... Uh, walk me through what my life would have been like had I not killed myself. And then I see at 35 that I was going to become a father for the first time, that I was going to retrain, that I became a software engineer. And then I was able to move to this company and that company and and buy a house. And like, how would I feel? How would my family feel if they could have seen that I could have turned it entirely around at 35? And again, like, I don't want this to sound all fucking, you know, blowing my own dick or anything, but I'm, I'm using myself as, purely as an example, but this could be true of, of 100,000 people out there. Uh, that, that This idea that you can write people off because they haven't gone the exact path that you think they should have gone by the age of 29 is fucking so arrogant and damaging and stereotypical and reductive. Uh, I, I mean, it should have its own word. Here I am reeling off adjectives and shit, but... It should have its own word because it's so specifically cunty. Um, so, yeah, look, that's that's I think that's all I have to say about uh, uh, career moves and, uh, and, and such. Uh, I think if you if you are unhappy in your job or your career and you feel like, well, you know, I'll just do this until I can get my uh, real idea off the ground, like, great give it give it a bash but don't fucking suffer in silence for years and years and years because like i've worked when i was like 20 uh or 21 somewhere around there i worked in a factory and there were people who had worked in there for fucking 25 years uh who just went into work every day and moved the boxes stamped the boxes moved the boxes stamped the boxes and when i said to them like don't didn't you ever want to leave do you want to go and do something else the guy was like no, well, like, some, look, somebody's got to stamp these boxes, eh? If, you know, if somebody else does it, I won't get to do it. It was like that sort of mentality. I know that sounds fucking weird, but it was literally that. It's like, somebody has to do this. <laughs> and I was dumbfounded. You know, I was still sort of very young and idealistic, but now I'm 40 years old. I can sort of see how people do kind of end up in that rut. And then it just becomes their life. They're like, yeah, well, every morning, this is what I do. I get up at five, go to the factory... I punch in, I do my work, then on the way home, I grab a few bits from the shop and then kiss my wife on the cheek. We watch EastEnders and then we just go to bed. Like, that's great. If that's all you want, awesome. But if you are doing that, thinking, uh, I'll just do this for a little bit, just make sure you fucking do. Just make sure you actually uh, pursue your shit and get up at 4am and try to do some tutorials or try to research your idea a little bit more instead of just dreaming along. Because I did that for like 15 years before I did actually light a fire up on, like under my ass. And my only regret with learning and making a career move is that I didn't fucking do it sooner. I'm like, I should have done this shit 10 years ago. That was the first thought that went through my mind when I went back to talk to the engineer that I was set up for a coffee with, where he was like, oh, how'd you get on? How'd you get on with the tutorials that I sent you? I was like, I wish I'd done this a decade ago. What the fuck was I doing? I could have done this a decade ago and still pursued music for fun. Um, And here's the kicker, right? Is if you feel like making the career move is somehow you abandoning the thing that you've been pursuing as extracurricular. So in my situation, that would have been 
comedy or, you know, music. Uh, here's the weird thing is like you then tell yourself, oh, like, but then I would be abandoning and betraying my creative roots. Well, no, like here's what's amazing is so now I'm doing coding and life is a bit better. You know, things are a bit more settled. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to I'm going to run my own like little shit fringe show. It's going to be shit and it's going to be cheap and low budget and everything. But it's I'm going to do it like I know that it's going to happen in the next five years or so. I'm going to run this thing called like cause Edinburgh Fringe and it's like Edinburgh Fringe is really expensive, prohibitively so. Uh, there, there's a fucking institution that needs to run a thing that addresses classism. Fuck me. Um, and so it's out of reach for a lot of people. So I thought instead of like Edinburgh, I'll run something called Insteadinburgh and it will be super cheap. People could just get like a half hour show and we'll get some industry people down and it will be a springboard for people who come from slightly harder backgrounds. Right. So I can do that because I've got up and retrained and then you know, now I'm in a position where things are a bit more comfortable, a little bit less chaotic. So if you are thinking about doing a career move uh, and thinking somehow that would be you abandoning your idea, I would suggest, no, pursue the thing that, you know, you could do the career move, increase your income. And then with the freedom that that money gives you, you can then pursue the shit that you're actually super, super passionate about. Now, for me, that's like music and comedy. For you, maybe you've always wanted to run a cake shop you know, a little bakery or something. Well, how fucking rad would it be if you retrained, uh, increased your income by two or three times, and then with the, you know, the fact that you're no longer working two jobs, now you've got your evenings free. Maybe now you can afford more childcare. So now you've got your, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays. You could just like book some holiday and then focus on building up your bakery or like, you know, researching recipes. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to labour the point too much, but you get the idea. Um, anyway, listen, guys, I've been walking around a park by myself, uh, like a dog walker without a dog, a dog, as I said earlier, uh, for 45 minutes. And it is now, I don't even know what time it is. Cause my phone's like, you know, when it's <laughs> even your phone gets bored of you, like when your phone, like the light goes off, like I'm, I'm, I've still got the app open recording myself talking, but the phone has checked out. It's like, I'm not fucking sticking around for this shit rabbiting on about your fucking career move nobody gives a shit um here's here's a career move you move me over there and just talk to yourself under the tree so you're not getting rained on that's fine but just leave me the phone over here by the bin that's great cheers um so anyway yeah look i'm gonna i'm gonna check out now thank you so much for listening if indeed you have been listening and um, please do say hello on twitter because um you know i never know who's listening to this uh it's it's great when i get some feedback or a review maybe on itunes um and uh and yeah i'll i'll be uploading another episode this coming weekend hopefully interviewing irving anderson if his schedule is all good um please say hello via patreon if you'd like to um i'm going to start putting out episodes first on patreon soon uh but the episodes will then be subsequently released on itunes and uh uh and Spotify, and YouTube, and um, yeah, in the meantime, take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch up with you soon, okay, bye-bye.